0: Hi I'm Gary and this is episode 92 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today we'll be looking at why there are still huge chunks of the country which are a bit of a charging wasteland. Uh, before we start I want you to thank everyone who fed back all the other charging hubs I missed from last week's episode. There are way many more hubs than I imagined which is always good news. Our main topic of discussion today is charging wastelands. It sounds to be a bit doom-laden, but it isn't, not really. Bear with me. Last week we talked about all the charge point operators that that are looking at building charging hubs alongside all the places where they're looking to build these hubs. But a quick look at ZapMap reveals that with all the best will in the world, there are still areas that are very poorly served with rapid chargers. But before we look at where these are, let's check out a few official stats, again, courtesy of ZapMap. There are as of the time of recording, June 2021, 10,372 connectors across 4,447 devices in 2,906 locations in the UK with rapid charging capability. In the last 30 days alone, 157 new rapid chargers were added to the database, accounting for 326 rapid connectors. For context, there are 8,380 petrol stations in the UK, down from 18,000 in 1992 and a peak of 40,000 in the mid-1960s. So from a rapid charging point of view, there is a potential to improve. Of course, if you include all public charging locations, such as 7kW and 22kW units and public 3-pin plugs, the number of chargers jumps to 41,280 connectors in 15,310 locations, dwarfing the number of petrol stations. So there isn't empirically a lack of charges. There are literally tens of thousands of them. But where are they all? The statistics indicate that of the 15,310 locations detailed above, fully one in three of them all are located in London, i.e. within the M25, and only one in 27 are located in Wales. Northern Ireland is even worse, with only one in 75 located there. That's a bit of an issue in the big scheme of things, especially if you're in an area like Northern Ireland, which has, well, not many. I put a call out to Twitter for people to let me know where they thought the charging wastelands were, and, surprise, surprise, lots of people responded with suggestions. Among the general areas where it was felt rapid charges were scarce were Lincolnshire, Mid Wales, Dorset, East Sussex, Rural East Kent, Kent, Eastern North Yorkshire, Cambridge, Shropshire, Northumberland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, outside the main areas, and coastal areas of Norfolk and Suffolk. That's a pretty large chunk of the UK. There are also key trunk routes that are relatively poorly served with rapid charges: M1 north of Milton Keynes and south of Nottingham, the A303 and A30 to the southwest, the M11 and the A17 in Lincolnshire as examples. Obviously in this list I'm excluding places such as the National Parks which have a dearth of charges, because, well, they're national parks. There's not a huge amount of electricity running across Dartmoor or at Mount Snowdon. If you look at ZapMap ZAP map and check where the largest concentration of charges are, you'll find a relatively small number of areas. As already mentioned, inside the M25 in London, Bristol, Milton Keynes, Nottingham, Wolverhampton in the West Midlands, Central Manchester, Leeds, the North East, Newcastle and Sunderland region, Glasgow and Dundee. So why is this? What, the, what are the reasons that some areas tend to be well served with rapid charging infrastructure and others seem to be the land that CPOs forgot? There are a number of reasons. The first is that these may not be considered key locations by the charge point operators. Remember, the installation and commissioning of a rapid charger or two is an extremely expensive proposition and you want to put them in where they'll make the biggest difference. Tom Callow told us that it's not worth paying that much for charges in some of these areas if they're only going to be used once a week or so when charges such as those in London might get used 30 times in a day. They want to make sure the places with the highest throughput of vehicles are going to be best served. With all the best will in the world, there are never going to be more people traveling through Lampeter in Mid Wales than there are traveling through Lambeth in South London. In terms of priorities for where to put charges, that's what's going to happen. The CPOs will have a structured plan for where they will be putting charges and when. But do also remember that the situation isn't that much better in some cases with petrol stations. One Twitter follower, Lewis Standing one mentioned that the A1 between Newcastle and Edinburgh, which is very sparse when it comes to rapid chargers, and he's right. But when I checked the major stretch of it, which is Morpeth to Musselboro, I found that the number of petrol stations along that route was 10 and the number of rapid charger sites along the same route was 14. Obviously, the total number of chargers, 17, was less than the total number of petrol stations. The actual figures are known, but I'm assuming a minimum is six per station, so about 60. But this does raise a very simple question, and one we touched upon last week when we talked about charging hubs. Do we really want more charging locations, or do we want more chargers at fewer locations? If we go back to the example I just gave about the A1 between Musselburgh and Morpeth, there are already more charging locations between these two than there are petrol stations, but there are lots more petrol pumps than actual chargers, Probably by a factor of about four. But if each of those charging sites had an additional four chargers or essentially became a mini hub, would that solve the issue? The longest distance on this stretch between two rapids is only 30 miles, which should be enough for any EV on the road today. Therefore, is it a charger issue or is it a location issue? Something to ponder on. I suspect people would be more willing to go 10 yards for an alternate charger if their chosen one wasn't working than 10 miles. Secondly, we have the issue of council reticence. Despite grants from MOSEV, the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles, there are many councils who either have no EV charging strategy or are only paying lip service to it, and this reduces the number of charges that are available or installed. Notable examples where this is not the case are the local councils in Milton Keynes, Nottingham and Dundee, who've gone for charges in a big way. I'm hoping to speak to a couple of councils in an upcoming episode to get their point of view on this, so stay tuned. Thirdly, There are no physical locations to put chargers. Remember, you can't just put a unit anywhere you want, even if you can afford to do so. Every charger has to be located on somebody's property, and that property will have a landlord. BP Pulse and Shell have an advantage here in that they can add chargers to the existing petrol stations they own, and the same applies to groups such as MFG, who we discussed last week in relation to hubs on their forecourts. Everyone else needs either a council for public parking or park and rides, or a landlord such as Holiday Inn, Tesco, Morrisons, Marston's or McDonald's to give them the space to put their units. Without this landlord, there won't be anywhere to put the charges. Obviously, this has an impact on where charges can be located. If there are no drive through McDonald's or Costa coffees in the middle of Wales, it makes it harder to find a landlord who'll support a charge there. The other reason location is important is that if you're a CPO such as InstaVault or Osprey Charging and you've connected with a company like Marston's Pubs or McDonald's, you're limited to where you can physically install your chargers. If there's no Marston's or McDonald's on the Suffolk coast, you can't install one there. Likewise for BP Pulse and Miller & Carter, they can only add chargers at points where there are Miller & Carter pubs, or holiday inns, or Mercure Hotels. And this also plays into our earlier comment regarding the number of chargers at a site versus the number of sites where chargers are present. Fourthly, underlying infrastructure, and we're talking about 50 kilowatt plus chargers here, not the 7 kilowatt ones. The National Grid have said that they are ready for the mass adoption of EVs, but this doesn't give the whole story. As we know from speaking with charge point operators on the, in the past on this podcast, whenever you put something in that pulls more than about 70 kilowatts from the grid, you need to get a substation installed and take out a 99-year lease with a local DNO. This is both expensive and a big commitment. But additional to that, there are issues at some local level with the grid being able to physically support more than one or two local substations. There's a reason Tesla only put their superchargers in the locations they do. The larger number of chargers which tend to be located at supercharger sites mean the draw from the grid is quite big and this limits where they can install their units. If you look at the list of charging wastelands we've already discussed you'll see that almost without exception this includes a lack of superchargers in those locations too. In fact in the whole of Wales there are only two supercharger sites each with eight units. One is located in Bridgend in South Wales, the other in Flint, North Wales. 173 miles by the shortest route and 226 miles by the quickest route. Almost four hours apart either route. If you've been watching the EV news recently, you'll notice that GridServe and the Electric Highway have started the upgrade rollout for the chargers at motorway service areas. They're installing chargers which are capable of 120kW charging, or 60kW charging shared between two vehicles. So moving on. We can't go on and on about the issues that face EV drivers with charging infrastructure without understanding what the possible solutions are. Let's start by saying that a lot of the issues that have been experienced regarding poor infrastructure will resolve themselves over time. If the CPOs are focusing on the areas of high traffic, once they've done that, they can start to focus on other areas that need to be dealt with. Time is also a solution for poor infrastructure. When the CPOs want to move into an area with poor infrastructure, the DNOs will seek to upgrade this and make it fit for purpose. In the short term, there is a solution, however. BP Pulse is currently trialing a newer type of charge unit that will solve a lot of these issues. It's called the Boost Charger from FreeWire. It is basically a rapid charger which can charge at 120kW but it has a 160kW battery inside which is constantly being trickle charged by the grid. The beauty of this is that it doesn't draw huge amounts of power from the grid and it can be installed with the same connection as a Type 2 fast charger. This means the connection to the grid is lower, the infrastructure cost is less to install and these can and will be rolled out at sites that might not merit a full BP pulse setup. I can envisage these being very popular installs in places like Lincolnshire, the Norfolk-Suffolk coastline and areas along the A303 and A30 heading southwest into Devon and Cornwall. It will almost certainly end up in places like Northern Ireland and some of the more remote areas of Scotland. I asked Tom Callow about where they are with the rollout of these units and he replied, Quote, still undergoing testing and certification, as I understand it, still hoping to roll out later this year. We have sites identified in our build plan that should get these charges, end quotes. If you want to see one of these units in action, there is a unit installed at the BP Pulse headquarters in Milton Keynes, so head down there and check it out. But by far the biggest issue is going to be finding places to put these chargers, and this is where we hit the eternal battle of more locations versus more chargers. It will be relatively easy to take somewhere like the A303, for example, approach every pub along the way and ask them if they want to support an EV charger. But the chances are that each site will only end up with a single unit. Now, if this is one of the free wire units we just talked about, it can charge two vehicles at 60 kilowatts each. But it is still a single unit. If it's out of action, you're out of luck. The alternative is to find either brownfield or greenfield land, or a landlord with sufficient additional space to allow something like a charging hub to be installed. Companies like GridServe are already making requests for people who have land available that they might be able to use for one of their electric forecourts. But the other approach to this is to partner with a company that has plenty of land available and piggyback off that land to build charging sites. And this is the approach that GridServe are taking with the Electric Highway Partnership. They're using existing locations such as the motorway service areas to provide access to larger areas of land via Moto Services, Welcome Break and others to build their hubs. And to a lesser extent, people like InstaVolt are doing this as well as they partner with companies like Costa Coffee and McDonald's. But the real power here comes from partnering with local authorities. We talked last week about the hubs that have been built at park and ride sites near Oxford and York. These are primarily linked in with the local councils and will provide multiple charges for use by members of the public. And we've said before that park and ride car parks are ideal for places such as char- charging hubs and they can include 7kW AC charging as well as faster rapid chargers. But they're ideally situated being close to town centres and main trunk routes to be convenient. The nearest park and ride to me is just south of Reading and has two rapid charges in there. Unfortunately, it's not a hub, but it is a start. So where do we go from here? It's not a secret to anyone where the infrastructure issues are in the UK. My tweet about where the charging wastelands are garnered a dozen replies in about an hour. I'm sure if someone like Robert Llewellyn from Fully Charged Show had tweeted the same thing, the answers would have been identical, but more plentiful. So understanding where the problems are isn't an issue. Just pull up a ZAP map and it's fairly obvious where the gaps are. What we need to do now is try and understand what the next steps are in solving these issues. Now, I can't believe it's totally a money issue. Companies like BP Pulse and Shell are backed by oil companies who've publicly stated their intention to become greener, whether we believe that or not. Throwing what would amount to a rounding error's worth of change to fund additional charges has got to be something they can easily do if they wished. The government has also recently committed to a £300 pounds investment spree to help triple the number of ultra-rapid electric car charge points across the country as part of efforts to accelerate the UK's shift to clean energy. This includes the installation of 1,800 new electric rapid car charge points for motorway service stations and a further 1,750 charge points in towns and cities. That alone virtually doubles the number of rapid charges in the UK and complements the new installs mentioned last week in our episode on hubs. As I mentioned earlier, time will solve a lot of these issues, whether it's time for the DNOs to get the grid in order, time for the charge point operators to roll out the charges at places with lower throughput of users, or time for new charges to be made available with higher power ratings, better reliability and contactless payment. Time will solve this. But we don't really have a great deal of time, do we? So is it political? Do we want the government to step in and tell charge point operators they need to start putting rapid chargers in Lampeter in Wales and Clacton-on-Sea in Blakeney and other small towns that are poorly served by chargers? Or will that result in a solution that the government thinks is good rather than what the EV-using public thinks is good? Do we want CPOs to stop focusing on adding the odd single charger here and there in lots of places and maybe focus on adding groups of chargers in fewer places to ensure availability and redundancy? In last week's episode we heard from Ian Johnston at Osprey Charging who told me that they've effectively stopped the rollout of single or double units for the time being and have focused on putting as many chargers in as they can. To Osprey Charging a hub is not a hub anymore, it's just a charging site. The Electric Highway are putting in newer units at all their sites around the country which are double headers, able to charge two vehicles at once, as well as adding extra units at each of these sites where possible. This is going to greatly help the UK motorway charging infrastructure But it's not adding any charges where they don't already exist. If you're travelling from Gretna to Edinburgh cross-country, you're off the motorway network and you'll still have a limited number of charges available. Finally, this isn't an insurmountable problem. We're not blazing a trail here to be critiqued or lauded by other countries if we fail or succeed. Other countries have done this very successfully. Norway, for example, is at 50% plug-in car sales and they have charges literally everywhere. Anyone who watches Bjorn Islands videos will see that he has his pick of chargers to choose from when he does one of his road trips. Many of them are high powered ones co-located at Circle K petrol stations. But they also have 7 or 22 kilowatt fast chargers there as well in most car parks. This also brings up another point which I've totally ignored up to now. We've been talking about rapid chargers and ultra high powered chargers because they're the ones that get all the good and bad press when it comes to charging on the go. But we also need to be making sure that we have a good stock of 7 or 22 kilowatt AC chargers in car parks. We mentioned last week the Brent Cross Shopping Centre in North London is installing 200 plus AC chargers in its car park. That's the kind of thing we need. While car chargers are available in many, many multi-storey car parks around the country, it's only places like Meadowhall in Sheffield that have an impressive number of them, 33 in total, whereas others limit themselves to maybe 5 or 6 at most. Remember, cars spend about 90% of their time stationary. If we can't use this time to charge, we're wasting one of the most important aspects of having an electric powertrain. The elephant in the room here, though, and something I've barely touched upon in this podcast, is cost. More charges will cost more money. Who's going to pay? Well, not to put too fine a point on it, we are. Maybe not short term, but ultimately, we are. This week, for example, BP Pulse announced yet another price rise for their charging. They last announced a complete change to their tariffs in 2019, but did a partial increase in tariffs when they upped the cost to charge on their high power charges to 42 pence a kilowatt hour only six or seven months ago in December of 2020. Instavault recently had to increase the price of their charges to account for a VAT ruling that brought them into line with other charge point operators charging 20% VAT rather than 5% VAT. And whenever a price rise like this happens, there are any number of commenters on social media who are happy to pontificate on the fact that this price is too high and they'll no longer use this network. But at the end of the day, none of the CPOs are charities. They all have to make money to survive. To make money, they'll need to increase the price of their public charging. Tariffs will increase. They have to. What we don't know yet is what's the breaking point for pricing. I suspect we'll find out sooner rather than later. In summary, everybody in the EV world, myself included, is happy to bandy about stats about the number of chargers that are currently installed and the fact that more and more are being installed every single day. Gridserve in the electric highway doubled the number of available chargers in 10 of their locations in a single week by adding the new ABB units. But the fact is that in many, many instances, if you live outside the main urban areas or away from busy trunk routes, the chances are your public charging experience might not be ideal. We've looked at why these issues occur and what we can do to solve them. Make sure you keep pushing the charge point operators and the government to move forward with this. It's critical for EV uptake. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Clean tech and renewable little stories. A couple of journalists from the Clean Tech website are looking to surface more of the smaller EV and renewable stories from around the world by creating a reader-supported project to build a low-emission mobile newsroom so the two reporters can cover the EV and clean technology stories that don't get told. As they say themselves in their tweet stream to launch this initiative, when a major automaker introduces a new EV, they bring in journalists from all over the world to make sure their story gets told. Small businesses like a used EV dealer, a small town pizza place using EVs to deliver, can't do that and it's sad when their story goes untold. They're looking to get followers so they can launch a crowdfunding campaign to buy an old EV in a trailer. They'll go travelling around presumably the US to start with, to find these smaller stories and surface them. Follow the team on Twitter at Stories for more information. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also Musing's EV on Twitter. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a list of something called, so you've gone electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you want to support the podcast and the associated newsletter... You do get the newsletter, right? Please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. Links in the show notes. You get early access to podcasts, patron-only posts, and special episodes recorded only for patrons. Everything you contribute will help support the podcast. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at Musings EV with the words The Charging Wasteland. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's looking to try to raise some money for charity by e-skating along all the main trunk routes. He'll do the A1, A62, A6, A5, A30 and the North Circular. That's a pretty large chunk of the UK. As always, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.